Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name, well, it's always the same, It's Jason Thomas, and uh, yeah, we had a little break there. I took a couple weeks off of the podcast. I apologize. Some of you emailed me asking when I was going to put another one out, which that does make me feel good, but yeah, I went on vacation, and then I was in California for Feld Media Days, which is going to be the subject of this podcast, and uh, yeah, just got a little breather. Um dealing with all sorts of stuff in my personal life and trying to get things ironed out. And um, it was nice to step away for a minute, but we are back. We are starting the countdown. We're under a month before the start of the season, and it does feel a little crazy. Um, You still have the holidays, and that'll be great. But, man, I, I feel like I just left, you know, September, the playoffs, and then Motocross of Nations. It doesn't feel like we've had much of an offseason, and that's going to be another topic that I bring up uh, when it pertains to certain riders, but that's okay. Um, With another month, I think I'll be ready. Um, It's always the same for me. You know, I've been doing this for so long, the same kind of scenario, and you just don't want anything to do with it through October, November, December starts to come around. You get to do all the, you know, see your family and go to these holiday parties and all that. And then you start just kind of looking off into the horizon a bit. And that when I, what I mean by that is you start thinking about what's next. Everyone starts talking about 2024 and you know, I have to understand all of the opportunities that I am being afforded. You know, I'm getting to do every race for uh, you know, the, on the broadcast team for 2024, which is, such a blessing for me and, and not anything I ever expected to happen. Um, and it's a little bit of perspective, you know, sometimes things aren't going so well and everybody's, everybody has their own challenges, right? There's a quote out there and, I, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's, you know, you should always be kind to people because you don't know the challenge they're facing behind the scenes. And uh, I know that's been true for me lately, just working through things and, Um, I think that's the same for everybody. So it's going to be nice to look towards 2024 and get back to doing the things that I love doing. And I know that all of you listening love racing too, right? That's why you're listening to this. We all love racing together. And we have a hell of a season to look forward to. I do want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Concept Coatings Design Co., Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, International Vet MX Series, TL Speed Shop, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them for being a part of this. Many of them have been on board since inception. 
some are a bit newer, uh, but we love having them on the team. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about them later. But the, the topic for this week was what went on in Southern California this past week. Uh, I flew down on last Sunday and um, we had meetings on Monday morning. So I kind of got down there, had dinner, got settled, um, got a good night of sleep. And then Monday morning, walked over because our hotel was right next to uh, Angel Stadium. So we, I walked over to the stadium and everything took place in side the stadium a bunch of the different suites were all set up for different stations the press conference area like we're utilizing a lot of their infrastructure at the stadium for these meetings well monday was not for the riders to be there it was just for the broadcast team to work with our individual coaches we had a big uh, kind of collective team meeting with our coach and his name is tony martinez uh he is he works with all sorts of other broadcast uh, professionals that you would have heard of, like Tony Romo, Jim Nance, um, Will Kane that's on Fox News that used to be on ESPN. Uh, he works with that level of, of broadcast uh, personality. And he also gets to work with us, which is phenomenal. Um, you know, obviously last year was my first interaction with him. And I've been impressed every step of the way. Uh, some of it's a little bit of a learning process, right? Like he's got to learn my uh, nuance and cadence and then try to bring the best out of me um, because he, he has a wealth of knowledge, but it's for, I'm trying to put myself in his shoes. Like he's got to look at what you're doing, find your strengths and weaknesses, and then bring the best out in you and find your triggers of things that are going to unlock your best potential. And that takes time. You know, it's not like the first time we ever met, I left going, Oh my God, I'm going to be the best ever at this. Like that's, to me, that's not how, how it works. You know, it's a steady process and progression and practice. And in the end, you want to look back in six months, a year, five years and say, wow, like the, the practice I've put in, the repetitions I've got, you know, actually at the races and then the coaching that Tony has given me has taken me to a new level. Um, I, I am much better. Like I'll be able to look back and say, I am so much better than I was because of X, Y, and Z. And that's really the goal. It's, it's relentless and steady progression to get to the place that you want to be. And I, I don't even know where that end goal is. It's just being better than you were the day before. And that's what we talked about, you know, as myself and Lee Diffie and Ricky Carmichael and Weege and all the people on the team, Will Christian, uh, all the race day live crew, uh, you know, Lurch and Dan Hubbard, et cetera. We were all in there together, kind of talking about what works, what doesn't, um, how we can be better with each other. Like where are the communication breakdowns? Uh, things like setting up like a group text on race day between the entire team, right? And you're talking like 20 people that can share information, right? Because what will happen is Will Christian will talk to – Jeremy Coker from Monster Yamaha Star Racing, and she'll get a scoop, right? And maybe she doesn't get to use it, or maybe there's just not an opening. And you have to also realize there's two different audiences. So if she gets this great information that she's going to use in the broadcast, now I'm not going to steal that. That's her scoop, her information. That's not what it's about. But she can share that with the Race Day Live team in the stadium and then they can they can talk about that inside the stadium because those two individual broadcast teams are not 
reaching the same audience. We are talking to all of the people tuning in on Peacock and NBC. They are talking to all the people that are at actually at the stadium live in person. So it doesn't really matter. It's not like they're going to get the scoop on her or something if she shares that information. You know, we have to be respectful. Like Ricky can't take that information and then drop it first. Like that would not be, that's not cool, you know, but opening up those lines of communication, maybe, maybe it's just questions that need to be asked, right? Like uh, for myself or for Will or whoever, someone on Race Day Live, they could ask a question to Ricky or James Stewart or whoever say, hey, lots of guys are struggling in this particular rhythm section. Like what's going on? Like why, you know, they could ask me too. Why is that so challenging? What is the problem? Like, is it the takeoff's too small? The landing's too steep? Like what's, what's causing all this drama there? Like they can reach out and ask that question and get an answer from the, you know, the, the expert on the topic, right? Like imagine just being able to ask Ricky Carmichael bench racing questions at the tip of your fingertips, right? The end of your fingertips. Like that is such a powerful tool to be able to utilize. And we weren't really doing a good job of that. So I think for uh, something like that to just be able to, you know, imagine you're at the, at the race and we're just talking and there's this really tough section going on. You see people are crashing and Wurch can say, well, you know what? I just texted Ricky Carmichael up in the booth and he said he can see it down on the TV and you know, they're, there's a whip on the second jump and they keep clipping it. And, and that's what's causing all the drama. Well, that's such great insight to be able to share with all the people inside the stadium. Like that is to me, that is us raising our, the level of uh, performance. It's also giving a better experience to the fans that are paying money to be there. So those are, that's just an example of the types of things that we can all get together and work on to, to be better, to, to give the best show possible across every single level. So we did that on Monday and then we had our one-on-one -on -one meetings with Tony on Monday, which was great. Um, I learned a lot, I took a bunch of notes. It's gonna give me things to practice and be better. Um, and just being 100% transparent with all of you listeners, what I want to be better at is in those, in, those early standups. And, and what a standup is, is me just in front of the camera, right? Like when they pan to me, it's like Weege going, and now we're going to go down to Jason Thomas with the report before the first heat race. And I'm just standing there and it's one-on-one -on -one, me with the viewer, right? Like that is a, that's the most nerve wracking part of the night for me. And I want to be more comfortable. I want to be more myself and I want to just be able to share the point that I have thought of, right? What do I want to talk about? I, I want to be very, uh, very good at, getting that point across to you exactly how it's going in my head. And that's a challenging thing because you have a very tight window, right? You don't have, you can't just ramble on for two or three minutes or let alone a podcast like this. You've got to find a way to get it nailed down into a very tight time frame, but also nail the point, right? When you go off screen, you don't want the viewer to ever be going, I don't really know what he was trying to tell me there. Like, what was the point of that? You know, then I've completely failed. But I also want to come across as the same way I'm talking to you right now, comfortable, um, hopefully insightful, but just not super tight because that's what I feel. I feel nervous and tight. I start talking too fast and I don't, I don't get out exactly what I want, how I want to get it out. So that's what I'm going to be working on is being more comfortable, 
uh, loosening up more during the day, uh, practicing more in the afternoon, doing some rehearsals, being on race day live more, which will get me more. Uh, it's just, it's just like a warm up throughout the day. And, that, and that's what I asked for is like, Hey, get me on race day live more, get me, um, during practice, whatever. Uh, I just need to be warmer because part of the challenge is that I won't do anything all day. Television wise, I'll just be doing my thing. Um, maybe doing some VIP stuff with, with fans. And then I go into TV mode and I have to just turn it on. And the first time I go on camera is just me rambling for 20 or 30 seconds. And I, I'm not warm, right? It's like if I was a pitcher and I just sat around all day and then they said, Hey, you're in, like you didn't go to the bullpen and warm up or anything. You just got to go throw a hundred mile an hour fastball right now. Like that's not realistic that you're not going to give your best performance. It's not possible. So it's no different than that for me. So that's what I, I really focused on with Tony was working on how do I get to that place where I feel really comfortable. And I showed him, I'm sorry, this, I'm talking so much about me, but I, I want kind of give you an insight of what's going on. And, and I'm sure everybody's interaction with the coach is a little bit different, but you, you need to, in my opinion, in life or any application, you need to be very aware of, of your weaknesses and where you are susceptible or where you could just be better. That in the end, where can I be better? And if you don't know that, if you're not, if you're not examining yourself enough to know where you can be better, I, I think you're missing the plot. So that was kind of the the whole thing. Like I would show him clips of early on standups where I, in my mind, I remember how I felt. I felt tight. I didn't feel like I really nailed it. And then I showed him, and I, I pulled these before. I showed him clips at the end of a show. Um, there were a couple like the at uh, SMX finale in LA, we do this post show and I'm fully warm by the post show, right? Like we've gone through a whole night of interviews and racing. Like I'm, I'm as loose as I'm going to get. And I showed him some of my, some of my exit comments. Um, and I, I felt like I did, ex I said it exactly how I wanted to. I wasn't tight. Um, I wasn't worried about time. I wasn't worried about speaking too fast. That's where I want to get to like in the opening. Now, so I need to be warmer, looser, more prepared early on. So I wanted him to see the difference in delivery so he could understand exactly why I, you know, the difference between those two. And he's like, okay, I, I see it now. Like I see absolutely what we were talking about. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your body language. You just look stiff. Um, so that's for me, that's what I'm going to be working towards. So as you watch these races in 2024, tell me. Tell me if it's better, worse, indifferent. Some of you reach out on social media and say, hey, you're, you're getting better, which is great. That's very uh, rewarding to hear. But I'm, I'm far from where I want to be. I'll tell you that up front. Um, I want to be phenomenal at this. And I'm going to continue working and practicing and finding ways to improve myself until I get there. As long as they keep giving me opportunities, I'm going to keep getting better. And I hope that this year is a, is a marked improvement. And I hope that in a couple years, you look back and I look back and say, wow, like you, you're pretty damn good at this now. So uh, I would say look at like Jenny Taft for an example. If, if any of you watch college football, she's everywhere. She works for Fox now and she is the consummate professional. She is absolutely phenomenal at what she does. And I'm not saying I'm ever going to get to her level. She is amazing at what she does, but that's the type of quality performance that I'm aiming for. That's what I want. Doesn't mean I can do it, but I, that's, that's what I want to end up being. 
And I don't have any plans of going anything past Supercross. Supercross is what I love. Um, but you look at her and you see, you know, sky's the limit in this, in this game. There are a lot of sports and a lot of opportunities and she, yeah, she's taking it to the next level. And I, I would, I would say she'll probably be an NFL and, and you think about the Holly rope, Pam Oliver, like she's going to be around for a very long time because she is a true talent and she, she works very hard at it. She was always wildly prepared whenever I ran into her at supercross races. And that's one thing I'm trying to be better at, you know, some of it, I don't have to write as many notes down as she does um, because it's, it's so bred into me and, and I just know these things inherently. So I don't have to like have the most um, just complete notes you've ever seen because it's in my brain, you know, I, so that helps, but there are things where I should be jotting things down. So I remember them and look back on them throughout the night to, to hit on. Um, so I, it's more just preparation, but that's, that was all of Monday, uh, very long winded. So I apologize for that, but that was Monday, everybody going through their, their coaching and training. Now, Tuesday is where the riders come in. And, you know, there, there's a few different goals of this of these Feld Media Days. And for the broadcast team, it is to get better, right? We get to work with our coach. But then we get all of this opportunity to talk to every single rider throughout Tuesday and Wednesday. And they're long days. I'm not going to kid you. They're very long days. And at, time, at times, it's a little boring. It's a little monotonous because – we had these 30 minute windows with riders and like, think about trying to talk to someone for 30 minutes, you know, like it's a long time and you do it over and over and over and over again with another rider. They just wheel them in. You do start all over again. So some of them were very insightful and great. And other ones were just not that it was anybody's fault, but you're just, you just start trying to kill time. You're talking about other sports and football and whatever. Because it's, I mean, it's a long day. It's a long day for the riders too. Uh, typically, they would they were cut into like half days, so you're either a 8 a.m. to like 12:30 p.m. guy, or you were a noon to five guy, and oh, either Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so you think about it, it's probably five hours ish of nonstop interviews, videos, photographs. Like you know, they're just getting they're you know getting the the full service um, while they were there. Like it was just nonstop for them. And I, I had to do interviews with Sexton and Tomac after they finished their day. And I prefaced it by coming in and saying, I'm, I'm sorry, this is the last thing you have to do. I'm gonna try to make it as uh, short and sweet as possible, which is for SMX Insider, which we filmed. It's, it's on YouTube now. I highly recommend it. It's probably the best one we've ever done. Um, but it was the last thing they had to do and they were great. They were gracious. They did a good job. Um, but I felt bad because they had just gone through the ringer of this type of thing. And then it was just like one more thing that they had to do. Um, but yeah, that's just how it goes sometimes. And they're professionals. They, they know what to do. So um, that was all of Tuesday and all of Wednesday was rider after rider after rider, just in and out all day, every day, you know, and it was all the 250 guys, all the 450 guys. Um, any, you know, any rider you can think of was there. And uh, you get to ask all the questions that maybe you wanted to during the season, but you didn't have a chance to, um, you know, and I'll go through some of these riders and, and my thoughts on each one, which is really kind of the, what I wanted to talk about in this podcast. But like Chase Sexton was one of the first ones we talked to. And there's so much going on there 
right? Switches teams, um, switches to the KTM. All the people around him are different. And coming out off the Honda, which was not a great situation for him, right? Like we all know it, at the end of the year, it wasn't, wasn't a good dynamic between he and Honda. It was very tense. I think Chase was bitter. And it was time for a change. I do believe it was time for a change. That doesn't mean his results are going to be better. I don't know. I don't think that that just means he's going to be able to beat Jed or anything now. But I do think for his his mental health, I don't want to say, I don't know, that, that sounds probably overstated. Um, but just him to be happier, I think it needed to happen. Because he felt like Honda was the Lawrence team now, which is, I understand why he would think that. And he didn't feel like they could sort the bike out for him. They couldn't get to a place of being happy on the bike that he was asking for. They just could not figure it out. And and I don't know the ins and outs of why why that happened. I mean, Jet's bike looked pretty damn good, you know, to be fair. So it's always difficult to say, yeah, the bike's a problem. And you look over at your teammate and he goes undefeated on the same motorcycle. That is really challenging. That's a, that's a hard argument to make, you know, and I'm sure he gets that. But in the end, it just felt like this was a, a win for everybody. You know, KTM needed him. They, they're they losing Webb, and they needed a guy that can go win. That's not a slight against AP, but he's never won a race. And Chase is the defending Monster Energy Supercross champion. So they needed that level of guy to try to win races on a KTM. Honda had already – I mean, they have their guy in Jet, right, and, that, and Hunter as well. But I don't think it was – a catastrophe to lose chase when you have jet locked and loaded and you, everybody knows what jet is and what, what that is. Um, the only thing I, I was, I was a little concerned with, um, chase because when he was talking about the motorcycle, I was looking for him to kind of say that he was over the moon. Like, I'm just, this is the answer. This is what I was looking for. We found it like I, I just wanted that happiness and contentment to be oozing out of him. And I didn't really get that. And maybe I'm reading into it incorrectly, but that was how I saw it. He just, he, he looked happy. Okay. But you could tell there were still questions in his mind. And I think they're, you know, they got a new frame from last year. So I'm sure they're still working through some of the chassis things, but it wasn't the overwhelming confidence that I wanted to see from him, right? If you were a Chase Sexton fan, you're like, he's going to win again. That's my guy. I didn't get that sort of just vibe from him of like, I wanted to see him just, just exuding confidence and just boasting like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm, this was absolutely the right move. I'm so happy I did it. It was more of just kind of, yeah, it should be good. I think we're going to be in a really good place. You know, like, so I don't, I don't know what to make of that. Maybe I'm just dead wrong and I misread the situation, but I can tell you that's when I left, that was my feeling. It's like, I don't know. I don't know where they are. You know, they have another month to continue to get better, but it wasn't, uh, I don't know. It just wasn't as he didn't sell me as much as I was hoping to be sold, I guess. Uh, Jet Lawrence, I mean, the guy is so confident, right? I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, is he too confident? Is he think this is going, is it coming too easy? I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, he's doing a hell of a good job. I can tell you that, 
but he seemed very, very confident. Now, concerns for him, uh, his offseason has been way too hectic, in my opinion. Uh, he's, you know, he didn't really have one. He raced SMX, won the championship, then went straight into Motocross the Nations, did really well there. Then he went to Switzerland for a week, which is, I'm sure was nice, took some days off. That, that was probably really good for him. But he's still in Europe. He's still got to get back to the U.S. and kind of shut it down for a little bit, like unwind. But he got back, and then he had to start thinking about Paris Supercross and start riding Supercross and prepare for that. And, and I'm sure that was a trying to find a balance of not overdoing it, trying to take the days off, but also understanding that he's expected to win Paris. Like everyone – Everyone watching is expecting him to win. And I kind of talked about this before where if, if he didn't look great, that would be why. Well, he, he did look pretty damn good. Um, but I, I thought it, I think it's really important. I did think it was very important at the time for him to take time off and get away from all this stuff, get away from the motorcycle, get away from the gym and do all those things. Like I just think you have to allow yourself that rest period if you want to be your best throughout the entirety of 2024 and time will tell, but listening to him talk about his schedule, I'm not so sure that's what happened to, to be honest. I, I don't know uh, because he did Paris. Then he went straight to Japan and they had all these Honda meetings and, you know, celebrations and all these things like photo ops. So he went to Japan for a week and then he flew straight from Japan to uh, California for the meetings that we had. So he's been like nonstop going here. Like it's been pretty aggressive on, on the schedule front for him. I don't think there's been a ton of time for him to just unplug and sit at home and play with his dogs and, and then like kind of re center himself for 2024. It just feels like it's been go, 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 go. And he kind of said the same thing is like, man, it's just been, it's just been a lot. Like it, it's, it's been nonstop. And I don't think that's the best thing for him. I really don't. I, I, I told you guys that in this podcast and others, I think there will be a price to pay if you don't take that time off. I know I certainly felt it in my own racing. I went hard at it in the off season, racing all over the world, trying to make money. I absolutely felt the, the toll of that being taken in March and April. Maybe even sooner, maybe even sometimes January, I'd be so burnt out in January. I didn't even want to be at the race because I had been racing for like 10 weeks straight already through the off season. And I don't think it's to that level because yet he hasn't been doing that, but he hasn't had a really calm, relaxing off season. Not the way that I think Chase has, and certainly not the way that Eli Tomac has. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know if that shows up or not. It's just the one concern I have for Jet is there's just a lot of noise. There's been a lot, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes for him. And I don't know what that, I don't know if that shows up or if that rears its ugly head in 2024. His brother Hunter, uh, God, I'm such a fan of him as a person. And I used to be pretty critical of Hunter. You know, he got hurt a lot, um, kind of just wasn't making it happen. And I have very much swung the other direction. Um, I, I love how mature he is. I love how grounded he is. And he just understands that it's, it's dirt bike racing and they hope they make a ton of money doing it. But in the end, life will go on after it, you know, and, uh, he, he's been through a lot. He's, he's had a lot more 
um, a lot more difficulty and challenge in his life than say like his brother has, right? Where it's, it's come fairly easy. It has not come easy to Hunter, especially at certain times. And uh, yeah, so I, I love what I saw from Hunter. You know, he's taking each race as it comes. He knows it's a long year. He wants to stay healthy. And I think he's going to surprise. Uh, I, I really do. Um, I just, the one thing I hope for him is he stays healthy because I think he will continue to get better. And he's had way too many injuries in his career anyway. Um, he, he deserves some success. So that was a, that was a cool talk with him and, and he's very personable. And again, he's, he's made me a fan. I'm, I am a Hunter Lawrence fan. Eli Tomac, uh, if you've ever talked to Eli, which I'm guessing many of you haven't, he's one of the most intense individuals that I've ever come across. Um, you know, I've made the joke with Jason Wygant several times that like, when I'm talking to him on the podium, especially if it didn't go very well, say like Sexton beat him or something. He would like stare a hole through me and I couldn't tell if he was really mad at me or didn't like me or if it was just the intensity oozing out of him as a person. And I think it was the latter. I think he was just so locked in and angry and intense that he just, I mean, he has like eyes of lightning bolts. Like it is incredible when that dude is locked in how it's, he's the most intense person I think I've ever come across in my life. And so to see him, much calmer, much more relaxed, able to joke around and answer questions without, you know, all that, all that fire just burning. Like it's like, it just is radiating out of him at the races. Um, he didn't have that, right. He was just calmer and you could tell it was a month before the season. So that, that was nice. It's, it's cool to get a different side of a person like that, especially someone that's a legend like Eli Tomac. So that was, that was interesting, uh, interesting conversation there. Uh, I, I think he's going to be ready. He he sounds like he's back. It doesn't – I didn't get the, the feeling that he's like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really tough. I'm going to have to ease into this thing. Uh, we'll just see how it goes, and hopefully I can get back up to speed. That's not what it sounded like at all. He, he made it sound like he's going to be 100% at A1, like the same guy he was. So we'll see. Um, sometimes you fool yourself into thinking you're ready when you're not. Uh, but I did not get – a lot of uh, there wasn't uncertainty or um, he didn't seem fearful of the level he was going to be at at all. So that's pretty confidence inspiring. I think if you're if you're an Eli fan, that that should be good news and music to your ears. Jason Anderson was one of the writers I looked forward to talking to because I was so unsure of what went on. What happened in 2023? 2022 was fantastic. He won seven races. He won his first ever outdoor overall. Um, he was just a, a revelation in 2022 and all of that expectation just didn't come to fruition in 2023. And I could not for the life of me figure out why. So this was a great opportunity to just straight up ask him like, what happened? What went on? What was the difference? And, uh, he said it was the bike. He said they went to that BFR shock, BFRC, whatever you want to call it. And he, could not come to terms with it. He just struggled with it the entire year. Couldn't find the same feeling that he had in 2022. Um, so he said this 2024 motorcycle has completely changed that dynamic and he's kind of back to where he was. Now it's, it's crazy to me when you look at 2023 and you're like, okay, if you're having a problem, let's go back to 2022 because that was a great setup. But I don't know the politics or the ins and outs. He also did mention that 
he felt like the level was higher in 2023 than in 22. So he needed to raise his level from where he was in 22. It's not like he got worse. He felt like Tomac got better. These other guys got better and he needed to get better as well. And when he tried to pick up the pace and go with them, the bike wasn't allowing him to go. He would crash. He would make mistakes. And we saw him crash a ton in 2023. And he, he pointed towards the change in the motorcycle coupled with a higher level, a higher required level. Those two things didn't jive and he ended up on the ground quite a bit. Uh, so we'll see well, he, he was, he sounded and Adam Cincerillo also said that the bike, the 24 is much better. And uh, so that, that should put them in a better spot. Now, is that enough to win? I don't know. You know, only one guy can win, but I think for them to be happier and in a better place than they were in 2023 is a pretty positive step. Dylan Ferrandez was one of the last, one of the last, maybe the last, I think he was the last person. No, he was not. Cincerillo was the last one. Dylan Ferrandez was the second to last person we talked to. And holy crap, does that guy love his Honda? Uh, he could not stop talking about how much he loved the bike. And he said the entire time in 2022, he was, when he was racing Jet Lawrence, he's just watching him ride his motorcycle. He's like, I can't do any of those things on my bike. My bike won't do those things. But the Honda will. It'll turn. It's more nimble. Uh, so, you know, I always find comments like that really interesting because it's often, you know, happiness in the bike is in the, the eye of the beholder. Because look at Cooper Webb, like he wanted to get off that KTM at all costs and get onto the Yamaha. Dylan Ferrandis wants off the Yamaha badly. I mean, he he could not say anything positive about the Yamaha at all. He wants to get onto the Honda. He thinks the Honda is the greatest motorcycle on the planet. And Chase Sexton couldn't get off the Honda quickly enough to get onto the KTM that Cooper Webb wanted off of. So you tell me how all that makes any sense. And I posed that question to all of them. I'm like, listen, Webb came in and tell, told us how great the Yamaha is. Now, Chase Sexton's coming in and tell us how great the KTM is and wants off the Honda. Dylan Ferrandis is telling us how great the Honda is and wants to get off the Yamaha. You guys all need to get into a room and sort this out because one of you is lying or multiple of, of you are lying. And that's not really the case. It's, it's personal preference, right? Like everybody likes different things out of their motorcycle. Uh, certain characteristics are more important to other riders. Like for me, I wanted stability at all costs. I wanted predictability and stability. That's what I needed out of a motorcycle to go really fast, or I guess reasonably fast. Some riders don't need that. Some like Don Ferrandez wants the bike to turn on a dime. He wants it to be the lightest, most nimble bike possible. And you know, I don't know how he feels on the stability front. Maybe he feels like the Honda has that as well, but it's different strokes for different folks. That is a, an absolute thing with motorcycles and you can't apply one characteristic of a motorcycle and say, everybody's going to like that. That's just not how it goes. Um, and that's why you see this kind of roulette wheel, I guess carousel would be a better uh, way to say it of riders saying like, Nope, I need that bike because it does X, Y, and Z. And, and a, a guy that's on that bike wants to get off of it for that exact same reason. So it's, it's always interesting just to hear those comments. Now the truth is, is honestly, it's often somewhere in the middle. Um, a lot of times riders just are trying to find change. They're not happy with the situation. Everybody can tell you back things that, that they don't like about their motorcycle. That is an absolute truth. Um, it doesn't matter what bike I had. There was something that I 
just didn't love about it. Now, there were oftentimes things I did. There were great characteristics. Like when I got off the 09 Honda, with that bike I was a pile of crap. I hated it. The 09 450. Um, I got onto a 2009 Suzuki 450, and I loved it. It was so stable, and the, and the Honda had none. It was so front and heavy and so twitchy, and you couldn't trust that thing at all. The Suzuki, you could trust it endlessly, right? And it doesn't mean I couldn't crash on the Suzuki. I'm sure I did that plenty. But you you knew what it was going to do. It didn't surprise you. Uh, the front end wasn't like buried in the ground all the time. So it didn't give you this really uneasy feeling. It just, I, I was able to go fast and I knew what the motorcycle would do in almost every situation. And that, to me, that was everything. Now, other riders like Andrew Short, he actually told me that that 09 bike was good. He actually liked it because it turned so much better than the 08 did. And he's not wrong. It did turn better. But at what cost is what I would say. Like you give up everything about the bike to be able to turn a little better. Like that's not for me. So it's everybody likes different things. And that's what you find when you talk to rider after rider after rider about their teams and their changes is that, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally an opinion based thing. It's preference and it's opinion. So it was just funny to listen to Ferrandis rant and rave about the Honda right after we had talked to Sexton say how much he just couldn't get along with the Honda anymore. It's just, uh, it's, it's hard to square those things, but you just have to chalk it up to personal preference. Uh, another comment that was really interesting is everybody that has been around Malcolm Stewart is talking about how fast he's going. Uh, Christian Craig, literally this, this, these were his words. If he doesn't win a one, then something went very wrong. Uh, that's he, he's like, he's a half a second to a second faster than all of us every day, uh, which is, that's interesting, right? Like to hear those comments from a guy that can go as fast as Christian Craig can at the practice track, he's clearly on, you know, he's on fire. Mookie's on fire right now. And uh, so just something to keep in the back of your mind. A1's always different than the practice track. Um, you, it doesn't mean you can bring that level to the race, uh, but that was the comment I heard over and over from people who had been there, been riding against him and had seen him ride was that how fast Malcolm Stewart was and, and the level he was on was higher than anybody else at the moment. So we'll see what, uh, we'll see what that translates to, because I would say sometimes that can be fool's gold. And my example would be last year, right? When, when you have Plessinger, Christian Craig, Cooper Webb, and uh, who else? RJ. Oh, and, and Malcolm himself. They were all practicing together at Alden Baker's facility, right? Just day after day after day, just hammering motos. And I talked to them last year at this same event. Like I talked to them at A1. They all felt incredibly confident. They felt really fast and they felt super prepared. Well, guess what? The level that they thought they had to be at wasn't high enough. And Eli Tomac and Chase Sexton came in and showed them what the real level was, what the level to win was. And they were nowhere near it, to be fair. They were, they were not. So I think that they fooled themselves into thinking that they were ready because all you know is the guy you're, the guys you're practicing against, right? If you're all kind of going the same speed and you all think you're killing it, you may not know that Eli Tomac could come to that track and, and ride for a day and then go a second faster. You don't know that because he's not there. And you don't learn that 
until you get to A1. And that's the, that's the crazy part. You show up, you do all this work, you think you're overprepared, you're like so ready. And then you go out there and you're like, oh no, like we're not even close. Like we're way too slow because you're, all, you're practicing against the same guys on the same bike, on the same track. And if someone else has made a huge jump in their machinery, like on the, you know, Tomac going to the Yamaha, something like that, it can completely catch you off guard and you're like, we're screwed. Like we are not ready and it's too late. Like you can try to chase it at that point, but good luck in trying to close that gap down once the season's already started. So that's what I, that's the only comment I would push back with, with Malcolm and, and how much they're talking about it is maybe that's just the level. Maybe that's Sexton could go that pace right now. Maybe jet would go faster than that. Maybe Tomac is like, yeah, that's fine. I can go that fast too. We don't know. And we won't know until they're all out there on the track together at Anaheim. So just something to keep in mind. When I hear comments like that, I always have to kind of qualify them. And then I think about, you know, what happened in 2023. AP was great. Um, if you've listened to this podcast or on TV, you know that he's my favorite interview. He makes the sport better. He is so much fun. And uh, yeah, anytime I get to talk to uh, to Aaron Plessinger for a while, I, I feel like I come out better for it. And I just love his perspective on racing and on life. Um, he's just a great dude. The only uh, 250 guy that I really had anything to mention was Joe Shimoda. Um, you know, think about Joe. When he moved to America, he couldn't even speak English. You know, so to the progression he's made, he can speak really well now. He can communicate. He's articulate. Um, I enjoyed talking with him. I was curious to kind of hear his thoughts of leaving Kawasaki, going to Honda, because I knew he was really unhappy in 23. I don't think he felt like Kawasaki was giving him the respect or the help he wanted or deserved. Now that that's what I perceive his opinion to be. Um, and I'm pretty confident in that. That's not my perception. I have no idea, but I think that's how he felt. Um, and I think it's a, a really positive change for him. Not necessarily like the bike is way better or anything. I don't know. That's up for him to decide, but I think just mentally, he needed to make a change. He needed to get away from Kawasaki because he just wasn't happy. He did not want to be there anymore. And if it's, even if it's just a sideways move on equipment, the, the change in mindset and attitude is plenty. That's all, that's all you need, right? Like you don't need more than that um, to, you know, if everything else is equal and your outlook is much more positive, then that's a win. Absolutely is a win for everybody involved. So he seemed like he was in a great mood. I think he really likes the people at Honda. You know, he's friends with the Lawrence brothers. And he's going to have so much more singular support at Honda because, you know, it's just he and Hymas on 250s instead of this gigantic Kawasaki effort that Pro Circuit was putting out where they have rider, you know, like five riders at times. You just get much more, uh, much more testing time, much more one-on-one -on -one with the chassis guys. So there's there's a lot to like about the Honda setup and also for for him for Joe he can sleep well at night going yeah I'm getting on the bike that has won championship after championship recently and now that doesn't mean they're not down on power from the the Yamahas because they are and I think anybody would tell you that they're still down on torque the the torque that the Yamahas put out is like nothing anybody else has outdoors on the starts no one can touch what the Yamahas can do because of the way their engines are set up. And the Honda 
the Honda team was chasing that all year. You know, Hunter was asking for power, more power, more power, more power all year long because that's what he was up against. And that'll be the same for Joe. Uh, but I, he's got to also know that that bike can win. Like that, even though they were down on torque, that bike won over and over and over and beat all those Yamahas for championships. So it, it's always, to me, it's comforting and it's confidence inspiring to watch a, the same motorcycle win and win and win. And then you get to go get onto that motorcycle. That's yeah. You just feel like, okay, now it's my turn. Now it's my turn to go do some winning. So I really like the setup for Joe Shimoda in 2023. I think he's going to be, uh, I think he's going to be the guy to beat. Um, but yeah, he's got to stay healthy. That's, that's the whole thing. Can he stay healthy? We'll just have to see. So that's it for this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Got some insight. Um, thank you, of course, to all of our sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Concept Coatings, Design Co. And if you're a privateer out there and you're looking for a place to uh, base out of in California, reach out to me. Reach out to Concept Coatings, Design Co. on Instagram. That's what they're going to have set up in Temecula is a race shop and and like bays for you to have your own race set up throughout the, you know, however long you want to be there. Uh, they also do all sorts of anodizing and Cerakote. Uh, you know, as you know, guts racing, seat covers, graphics, all those types of things. Complete seats for betas now. Uh, Works connection. They have that new chain gauge tool, which is really cool. Obviously, they have the pro-launch start device, which is what Honda and Monster Yamaha Star Racing uses, who get all the hole shots, by the way. Pro Glow Wash. International Vet MX Series. New dates to come in 2024. TL Speed Shop. They got just got done with Baja a few weeks ago, and that looked incredible. But remember, it's a side-by-side -side experience or trophy trucks flying to Phoenix. Uh, they're based in Wickenburg, but you can go anywhere. That You can draw up your own plan. You can do a company event. You can do a family vacation. But they have side-by-sides and all sorts of that equipment ready to go. It's plug-and-play, really great setup, really great people at TL Speed Shop. Grant Stone Boots, uh, I wore mine last night. I will be wearing them again tonight. Great product. They have sneakers now. They just launched their new women's boots. Uh, so go to grantstoneshoes.com. Check those out. And last but not least, Fly Racing. Thank you for everything that they do for me. And uh, yeah, I'll be back in the office on Monday. So that's it for this week. Thank you to everyone for listening and hope you enjoyed it. See you.